0: Our scripture reading this morning is from the Gospel of Matthew. The following is a message by Dr. W. Robert Godfrey from Westminster Seminary, California. For more information about this message or Westminster Seminary, visit us online at wscal.edu or call us at 888-480-8474. That's online at wscal.edu or call us at 888-480-8474. 84-74. Eighty-four, seventy-four. Reading from Matthew four and Matthew five, we take up the reading in Matthew four at verse twelve, reading down through verse seventeen, and then continue <clears throat> at Matthew five, verses fourteen through sixteen. <clears throat> Matthew four, chapter uh, Matthew four, verse twelve. Let us hear God's own word. And for those dwelling in the region and shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then, skipping down to chapter 5 at verse 14, these words from the Sermon on the Mount You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but, under, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So far the reading of God's word. Well, we begin a new semester of study, and I thought it would be good to begin that uh, new semester, thank you, with uh, reducing Professor Kim to a servant role and uh, (laughs) letting his good works shine before men. Um, Thank you, Julius. Um, I thought it might be good to begin with uh, a meditation on these remarkable words of our Lord. You are the light of the world. Now he said that, of course, to his disciples who gathered around him uh, on that mount when he delivered the sermon we know as the Sermon on the Mount. But he says it to all his disciples. And that means he says it to us. Um, He's not saying it just to us. Uh, We can't become arrogant in listening to these words. But he does say it to us, and I think it's a wonderful word with which to begin the semester, a wonderful word with which to focus our study, to focus our travail. You notice the psalm said, uh, uh, through uh, difficulty though my pathway be, uh, you may find at times in this semester, that it is seminary itself, which is your difficulty, although your professors are not your enemies, just your disciplinarians. Uh, But here is a wonderful word from our Savior to meditate on, to go on with. You are the light of the world. And why does Jesus say that? Well, I think he says it for three reasons. Um, because Jesus was a preacher. Um, First of all, I think he says it to surprise us. One of the dangers of knowing the Bible well is that we begin to lose all the surprise. We're no longer shocked. We're no longer amazed. But think how appropriately surprised that relatively small group of disciples must have been when they found themselves in a remote, out-of-the-way unimportant part of the world. They knew that. Any Jew from Jerusalem would have told them that. Anybody who lived in Galilee was of absolutely no significance in the Jewish world, much less in the wider world. This little gathering of people in a remote place being told, you are the light of the world. They must have been surprised. We should be surprised. That our Lord would speak such words to people like us. People who are not amongst the wisest or richest or most influential or best connected people in the world. But he says to you and to me, you are the light of the world. Let that surprise you. But let it also encourage you. Because when Jesus says to us and to all his disciples, you are the light of the world, he is identifying us with himself and with his mission. Because Matthew has already told us that Jesus himself is the fulfillment of the great prophecy of Isaiah, that a great light would come. That a great light would come to people dwelling in darkness. And that that light then would shine in darkness so that people would see the truth and believe the truth and be transformed by the truth. And that is what Jesus has come to do. That's who Jesus is. He is that great light. And he has come in fulfillment of many prophecies of Isaiah. Here Matthew quotes the prophecy from Isaiah 9 in particular, but there are several other prophecies that careful students of Isaiah would have known, would have come to mind. Isaiah 42, verse 6, I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people a light for the nations. That was the prophecy that... Simeon quoted when Jesus was presented in the temple, when when Simeon saw Jesus, he knew that Jesus was the great light come into the world. The great light to be a covenant for the people and a light for the nations. We might also think of Isaiah forty nine, verse six I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation shall reach to the end of the earth. Here's the great purpose of that light come into the world, that there might be salvation for the nations. And that's who Jesus is, is the great light. And Jesus, of course, made that clear over and over again in his ministry, didn't he? When he stood up and said, I am the light of the world. But the thing that is so encouraging here is to not only be reminded and informed that Jesus is the light of the world, but that we are connected to him. We are intimately connected to him so that in him, through him, and with him, We become the light of the world. He works through us. He accomplishes his purpose through us. And although from the world's point of view, what we do may not seem all that important, all that significant, all that influential, Jesus says you are the light of the world. Now don't you think that should lead Fox News to come and interview us here? Fox News seems to interview every other idiot in the world. But the world doesn't notice, does it? If the world notices Christianity at all, it's usually in terms of some completely aberrant expression of Christianity. But we mustn't be discouraged about that. Most of the world didn't see the light shining in Jesus either, did they? But we must never lose connection with that great word of encouragement. You are the light of the world. And because you are the light of the world, Jesus is making you part of his great mission to spread salvation around the world. The airways has been full of words about Egypt, hasn't it? And uh, it's led me as a historian to ponder Egypt in its history. And uh, Egypt evokes so many different uh, feelings. Uh, From the Bible, we usually think of Egypt and Pharaoh as an enemy. But as Isaiah prophesied that one day Egypt would be a friend. And that prophecy has been wonderfully fulfilled. So that by the Early 3rd century, perhaps a majority of the people in Egypt were Christians. And although Egypt fell to the advancing armies of Islam in about 645, probably the majority of people in Egypt remained Christians down to about the year 1000. And today we hear on the news rather blithely reported, that 10% of the population in Egypt is still Christian. Of a sort, at least. And we think, 10%, that's not much, is it? No, it's not much, it's only 8 million people. Who, in spite of all of the humiliation of Islam, have for one reason or another held on to some form of Christianity. And we ought to remember that Christ has a people. Christ preserves a people. Christ accomplishes his purpose. We ought to remember that Athanasius stood as a light to the world, against the world, in defending and declaring the eternal divinity of our Lord Jesus Christ. An Egyptian, you are the light of the world. You need to be a little bit surprised by that, you need to be encouraged by that, and you need to be challenged by that. You notice what Jesus says. Not only you are the light of the world, as Mike Horton would say an indicative, it's even an indicative when Mike Horton doesn't say it. (laughs) But it also says, verse 16, let your light shine before others. An imperative. And part of my word to you, brothers and sisters today, is when you come to teach or preach the Bible, preach imperatives as imperatives. Don't explain to us how imperatives aren't imperatives and don't explain to us how we cannot fulfill the imperative requirements of the Scripture. Spend at least some time in your sermons explaining to us that imperatives are imperatives and the Lord expects us to let our light shine. The right application of this text is not to say, we'd like our light to shine, but we can't let our light shine. Jesus' light shines, so everything's okay. That's not what Jesus said. That's true as far as it goes. But it's not what Jesus said. He said, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. We need to be challenged as well as encouraged by the words of Jesus. We are the light of the world, so be the light of the world. And how are we the light of the world? By the visibility of the transformation that Jesus has made in our lives. Let your Light shine before men so that they may see your good works. Now, I'm a strong believer.